this is this is this is the this we're beginning in the middle because the the purpose of this episode is to is just to create understanding with um the feelings of being lost or listless or um confused or in pain and not really understanding why so we're we're gonna start with the um the problems that people run into uh, uh when they're um when things aren't going well i call it the all is lost moment um but you know you could call it rock bottom you could call it a setback whatever it is dark night of the soul dark night of the soul that's right that's totally right that's a book yeah and and it's a great uh it's a great theme in literature and in, in music and in art because we can all relate uh so um for me i just connected to being disconnected from purpose community and self and not really understanding why um so to begin in the middle uh let's you know i'm josh i'm miles salisbury do we want to talk about like our backgrounds or why we're here what What's the purpose? Or? We'll have a whole episode about that, but um, well, this is just like who are these talking heads here? We're, yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we'll get we're we're gonna get some more story right now um, because I want you to share with uh, the audience and me um, what your all is lost moment was and Pearl. what rock bottom felt and looked like for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which one are we talking about? <laughs> are those two separate things? Okay, sure, both. Um, but so so figure out like. Um, where you like the dark night of the soul. I think the thing that that exemplifier is emblematic of that experience of having a dark night of the soul is mm-hmm. thinking that or not being able to see the end of it. Feeling right. like feeling like right. I'm gonna always feel this way. It's not gonna end. I don't know which way is up, mm-hmm. and I, I might never. Yeah, yeah, that's a scary place. The mind uh, hates a vacuum. That's a little narrative there. Since we're biased towards the negative, but. We often just filter with a, a junk story, and then we buy into it. A junk story. So easy. Well, so so for you, your all is lost moment, um, or a dark night of the soul, like, or if you've had multiple, like, what was oh, yeah. the, what was the first one or the most um, important one for you for your narrative? First one, probably my parents' divorce when I was about eight. I remember life before that and life after. Like life was hunky dory, skittles and rainbows, cool childhood. And then I remember when my parents sat us down, I had three siblings at the time. I have seven, by the way. I have a blended family. Yeah. It's complicated. Uh, more more uh, dark nights involving that. Uh, good things, too. Um, and when they told us, uh, I just remember being a pile of anxiety just all the time. I did, went to full parent trap mode, tried to get them back together. Um, I thought I was a genius, like they're going to sell the house. So I literally every day walk out and rip the for sale sign out of the ground thinking, oh, no one's going to buy the house. It's like <laughs> fucking genius, man. No one's going to, they don't, it's not for sale. And of course the realtor just put it back up. Uh, and then it's like, my mom would start dating and I'd try to sabotage. I remember the first time the boyfriend came over and ran and got the door and uh, before my mom. And oh, I opened it and the guy's like, hello. And I go, my mom farts. I was like, that'll do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, you thought of things you didn't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't like that. You won't like that. Uh, and of course, that embarrassed her. But um, yeah, it sucked. Uh, forced to be the, the man of the house when my dad was gone because I only got to see him every other weekend, so that was bad. 
um, amidst of all this, um, was a Mormon upbringing. So dad was not born into it, mom was. They met, uh, knew each other for two minutes, had me like the minute after that whole thing, like the, as the Mormons do. And um, so when my dad left, all that pressure to be the like example for my siblings and the man of the house, unintentionally by my mom, um, was kind of given to me. So I just got crushed with all kinds of weird, weird stuff. This is eight years old? About eight, yep. Uh, so big, very, very, very traumatic um, in lots of, lots of ways. It wasn't fun. Uh, and, that, and that set off a lot of weird things the rest of my life. Um, you know, even at some point we'll talk about attachment theory, attachment disorders. Uh, so 100%. Definitely picked up um, the anxious and avoidant styles. Had a dad that was not around or close enough, and a mom that smothered the shit out of me. So <laughs> uh, it's like someone comes towards me and they love you, and you go, "Whoa, take a step back," <laughs> or they, you seem like they seem like they're leaving, and you chase after. That's it was very confusing. Yeah, had to do uh, years of therapy to repair that. Um, probably one of the reasons I am a therapist is because of that moment. So. Um, that's like you're, you're, you know, identifying also some, some capital T trauma, but, um, mm. that was the first like dark night of the soul. Yeah. What about as an adult where you felt uncertain and lost? Uh, so we're skipping a bunch of life, but the next one that just pops in first thought, best thought I graduated with, uh, this is before PhD, got the master's degree at Naropa university. That was one of the best experiences of my life that when I graduated all my classmates who I like they felt like family for the first time in a long time I felt like I had family you know because I didn't close relationships super bonded everybody left you know a few people stayed around but everyone went off and did their lives and I had a roommate at the time who I made good friends with playing soccer who's from Germany he got engaged and all of a sudden I had no roommate and got out of grad school and realized, oh, well, you don't have your license yet. You have to work for an organization. Oh, by the way, we're not going to pay you shit. <laughs> so I, I had to go live in like low income housing mm-hmm. by myself with no one. So strip everything away. I'll do enough. Like people joke, oh, it was Saturn's return. You were, that's at age 27. Literally it was age 27. So you know, whether you go for the astro- astrological stuff or not. Um, I love it. That definitely hit. And I was depressed lost, scared, and my first job doing group psychotherapy with repeat DUI offenders. Hardest job to this day I have ever had, right out of grad school. And they didn't know what the hell they were doing. They're like, you're the doctor. They called me doctor. They haven't been a doctor yet. Yeah. And so I had to figure it out. I mean, these groups of like 45 men and women, like groups should be like 10, <laughs> 12 tops. <laughs> It was just me, and then they had all this curriculum and shit, and I figured it out, um, but it was hard, it was really hard, so I had to do that and then go home by myself into this, felt like a, almost like a prison environment, and it worked me out of that, so that was the second one, and uh, more uh, presently, you could say, I'm in one right now, I'm in one right now. Uh, the whole purpose and meaning midlife transition, as Carl Jung calls it, or midlife crisis, as our society calls it, that's hit. Um, usually it's a crisis because people 
you get the trophy wife or get the Corvette or I'll work twice as hard at this job and I hate that I'll solve it and these things work for about 90 days and then you're like three times as crushed afterwards or uh, what Carl Jung would say was pay attention to what wants to come through you into the world and that is not a question that's answered immediately you have to keep asking the question asking the question and you get trailheads um, and synchronicity enough like doing one of these like doing a podcast was one of those and so I've been doing I've been practicing uh, as a therapist for a long time but it's got kind of stagnant um, and I've had these questions of like is this it is this what I'm supposed to be doing can I sit with people for the rest of my life in this way and part of me goes yes and part of me goes I don't know that's I mean it's a really 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 hard job people um, may or may not understand how difficult it is emotionally mentally psychologically physically I mean, just sitting all day that's <laughs> not good for you either well holding space for other people's like you know uh, emotional problematic emotions and um, inner conflict that is externalized like you're just trying to be um, a referee and maybe an honest broker mm-hmm. between parts of other people's selves yep and um, you know not have the life sucked out of you while you're doing it correct like we're the instrument of change we have to stay sharp so we have to do all the work they're borrowing our nervous systems to regulate theirs just like as a parent your kids are borrowing your nervous system to know how to do that for themselves and that's why people come into trauma because their parents did not give that to them they had to either do it with their parents or their parents weren't there and that was my experience and I, I had to figure that out for myself too yeah really hard is that that is that called enmeshment or codependency or what is that called that can come from that uh, enmeshment is yeah where you're you, codependency you're, you're too close uh, you don't know where you are the other person is um, people think that that's the right move but it's not you, know, you have to have your own friends your own life you walk the path together you're not one person's not like a fireman carrying the other person. You're just going to fall down at some point. It's not going to work out well. Yeah. You caretake, you know, things like that. We can get into that at some point as a whole. Oh, we're, we're about to. Um, so, like, uh, so the, you know, being in this place of being, feeling disconnected from purpose, although you're on the path that you created that you're you know you were led to by the desire to help other people and to serve and to um also you know the the work that you've chosen miles is like um cathartic to you to both teach and live and embody and do um but you know at some point you have to resell yourself on the you have to resell yourself on what you're selling right like that's what it feels like sometimes yeah yeah it's it's important that's just you know you got to reinvest in belief um and also be willing to like you like you were talking about um, carl young ask the question and mm-hmm. listen to the answer and live it live in that question yeah and he said during the midlife transition if, if if it's not coming to you think about what you like to do as a kid or play and i just wanted to play fucking war and i wanted to be an archaeologist well i'm kind of digging around people's minds uh, I'm doing the Coast Guard Auxiliary now, but if I think back to high school, there was a seminal moment where I really wanted to join the Marines. I knew through and through. I, my grandpa was a Marine pilot, my other grandpa was a Navy pilot. 
I can't, I'm going to do this. And my dad said, no, you're the oldest male. You're going to college. Uh, did not want to disappoint me because I didn't disappoint him because I didn't feel like I had enough love for him growing up. So I kind of just waffled in, in my own way. I kind of was rebelling. So I didn't sign up for school. I didn't join the Marines. I kind of just left off with my friends. And that motherfucker signed me up for college and picked my classes and put me on like geology, like the most boring fucking class ever. But that's why I went to college because <laughs> he told me to. But if I could go back in time and punch myself in the face and say, go to the Marines, I would have. It's a massive regret. And there's a whole backstory of trying to get in since then that we can talk about at some point. And I say still, still may do with the age requirements, maybe lifting. Um, hopefully maybe we can, if anyone's curious about that, I can tell that backstory at some point. But uh, that's what I wanted to do when I was younger. That so I'm trying to get that back now, and Jung would also talk about wholeness. Like you want a, a good blend of the masculine, and feminine, yin and yang. We all have that. Uh, and the first half after um, when I got into my uh, internal rep, I was. I mean, I've been drowning in the feminine for so long. I mean, doing this work is a very feminine, energetically feminine um, undertaking. You know, you're you're listening. You're taking stuff in you're receiving you're not directing ordering it's not very linear it's more circular um, so more recently I've been trying to get more of the masculinity back you know that military call has been one of them uh, when I I worked in a jail for a while too getting my licensure hours and it really felt it then because I was working mostly with men but I felt like I had a group of guys that uh, I was connecting with I was doing really good work but it almost like a gang mentality you know like and I was working with the deputies then too, and it was it was uh, quite a cool mix. But uh, I hadn't felt that sense of masculine camaraderie since sports in high school, and so I've been kind of really trying to get that back. Without you know, we're still bringing the feminine along. You know, you don't want to ditch one for the other. You have to integrate. So how to do that? It's hard. Wholeness is hard. You know, Jung would say you got to hold the tension of the opposites. Uh, I think he called it the, the pathway to individuation. Like, what's the third option when you hold the when you hold paradox? A third path emerges, and that's fucking hard too. It's easy to just go to can't be, can't be. Tell me what to think. Tell me what to say. I'll just open my mouth and just pluck that food in. I'm done. But there's a massive price to be paid for that. You're not growing. Um. Well. Uh. Here at your. Trying to, you're already trying to figure out the um, the dark night of the soul or the the solution. We're gonna get there, um, but I wanted to. Um, is it is shamanic death the same thing as the dark night of the soul? No idea. Dark night of the soul. That's a book by Thomas More. Um, it's kind of like what we're talking about. You, James Hall says when calls it called the swamp lands of the soul, like depression, despair, anxiety, all the shit emotions you know you, um, are you familiar with like ego death um only in the buddhist sense i don't it's the same thing you're talking about yeah i think so i mean um the uh um i've had uh, lots of i've had lots of like um ego deaths or dark nights of the soul and um like some of yours um i mean like i think the the commonality in a, among all these things and and the 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 moment you're in now is 
for good or for bad, they induce behaviors, like new behaviors, new parts of your identity come out. And um, the, um, the I, I went through three in a row, and they were sort of like super, um, super related to the way that I was kind of living my life for the first like 37 years. Mm-hmm. And I, I got divorced in 2019. Um, How were you married for? Um, I was together with my wife for five years. Mm-hmm. We're only married for two years. You were young. Yeah, emotionally super young. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like still. I mean, I I didn't know. What, I feel like I didn't know anything about myself when I was married. I was still living out the 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 idea that um, that I had to take care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't even aware of what my needs were at the yeah. time. You were caretaking. Yeah, yeah, fully fully caretaking. Um, and I didn't. I, I wasn't even able to um, figure out what my own emotions or needs were. I wasn't. I didn't have the skills and the patience to sit with my own uncomfortable emotions and deal with any like grief or trauma. Um, and we'll get into this later, but um, I also had a disorganized attachment style, mm. um, which made me successful in my business, which also which ended in 2020, um, where I was a, a I ran a gym called Training for Warriors Portland for five years was a ton of fun and the thing that made me a good coach also made me a bad business owner which which i wanted to make everybody my friend i wanted to like classic take um you know take really good care of everybody Mm -hmm. um some of that's good but when it goes too far 100 percent, yeah yeah and just like you know the ultimate um you know not understanding what your own needs are like not understanding what was bad for the business but good for you know, my ego at the time, which was like thinking that, oh, I'm a good caretaker. So like I'm doing it right because mm-hmm. I'm producing good results and I'm making people happy, but it doesn't, it didn't work for me my family or my business. So it was like that lack of balance of, you know, I guess, um, you know, there was a, a codependent, you know, you know, uh, you know, on steroids, codependent relationship on steroids. And a lot of my, my validation, like I was, I was looking for, the people that I was working with to validate me, you know, of course. I didn't know what that was, that was about. Um, but, uh, so like I had kind of lived in such a way that the rules that I was living by made it impossible for me to have a, a, a healthy long-term relationship. And, um, it also made it impossible for me to be a successful business owner. If my rule was I have to, not make other people uncomfortable or have to, you know, make every decision has to be good for them and it it may or may not be good for me, you know, and so um, I kind of ran myself into this wall. Did you feel like the chameleon kind of? Um, The chameleon? Um, Would I change the answer based on who I was talking to? No. I just, um, here's a great example. I got a one-star review um, the other day uh, for my business and I was so happy and I was sending it to my friends, and um, and this this person was very angry with me, and I thought it was such a pro- sign of progress, right? And because, yeah. like, um, I was telling some of my friends, I was like, there was a time in my life where I never would have gotten a you know a negative review because I would have done whatever it took for that person to like me, correct? And so I would have been over backwards, I would have trained for free, I would have done you know whatever to make that person happy. And like <clears throat> a reasonable person who's showing up in the world will make some people happy 
some people neutral, some people would not like. Can't avoid it. And yeah, exactly. And it's like, and it was so good for me to get that. And I was like, that for me, that was a sign of progress. Mm. Um, and so the chameleon, no. Um, it was just so far on the an- other end of the people-pleasing spectrum that like it wouldn't seem reasonable. And there's a lot of that in the healing trades, I think. Like a lot of, a lot of people will take on what would be unreasonable to take on in, yeah. um, in, in any other circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, the financial prospects of, you know, coming out of grad school and, you know, having to get into, um, you know, uh, what do you call low, low income housing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the average personal trainer makes like $32,000 a year or something like that. Really? Yeah. And having been, having been in the industry for 20 years and helped a lot of other trainers with their businesses, I know that's about right. Like they may be billing for 60 or 70, but you know, uh, once they actually write themselves a check, um, they are definitely underneath 40 K for most of them, which means that you have to live with other people. You can't be independent. You know, you're a social worker Mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, the top, 20% 20% can do a little bit better than that. And the top 4% can do really well. But basically, 80% of the, 80% of the industry is not doing well. Um, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, salary.com, you can look it up. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of times, like, you know, the reason why the helping professions, people will take the, the deal that's not good for them is because they want to help so badly. It's so in alignment with their identity. Um, and it, it meets their model of the world. Like, what other people, what's good for other people may not be good for me, but that's okay. And whether you're a nurse making $21 an hour or you're a uh, personal trainer or you're a health coach or, you know, a therapist, like, um, you know, you think, well, but, but I'm making so many other people happy, you know. And um, ultimately that's not sustainable with why the burn rate is 90% year over year, which means that you have a 1% chance of making it 10 years. Man. Or a tenth of one percent. I'm not good at math, so it might be numbers are hard. It's ten percent of the ten of remaining ten, and the remaining ten, and the remaining ten. So it might be like a tenth of one percent after ten years. Mm-hmm. But um, huge attrition rate. I'm sure same thing. I'm sure in your profession, there's uh, yeah. I don't think it's that bad, but yeah, the, the yeah, burnout definitely a thing. So there I was, and like I, I like my relationships were working. My my. My career, my business wasn't working. My financial health was a mess. And um, the even though I was working super, super hard, like unbelievably hard, like it, I, make, I cringe at how hard I was working, um, I still didn't feel like I was contributing enough, which just means like, you know, if you don't feel enough when you start, you're certainly not going to feel like you're enough when you finish. Um, but I remember feeling like an imposter in my community and like I didn't belong anywhere and just carrying that around with me. And, 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 um, I think that, you know, having, knowing what I know now, it's that I had that, you know, sense of like, what's wrong with me something I'm broken. You know, this is, you know, other people don't feel this way. Um, and that was infecting every part of my life. And that I was I was projecting that on to, to but part of it, things weren't working and things were broken, you know. So I mean that wasn't like a, that wasn't like a fantasy, something that was a reality. But I wasn't I, I was so far I was so far in the symptom I didn't really know what the problems were. But um, 
the uh, uh, so the dark night of the soul <laughs> for me um, was sort of letting go of my role that like like the healing the healing didn't begin there but just re- recognizing that the way I was doing it was not sustainable and that I had to let go mm-hmm. and COVID was a, a, a huge gift for me in that regard because um, the business really wasn't working and um, when it landed but you know I had I had sucked at business long enough to be good at business and I like looked at our like cash flow and like oh you know on the I was like oh we were we're gonna last exactly we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna last exactly five months and three weeks and then it's over like and then we're just gonna you know bankrupt and our stuff will get get seized by our creditors and um and I but I didn't I was way wrong to get math so I think we lasted another ninety days. <laughs> it wasn't even that good. Uh, but uh, uh, but um, yeah, of course, like we didn't have a product to sell, you know. So it's like it doesn't really matter if you're a for-profit business and you can't sell anything. You, you know, it doesn't matter your good intentions. You can't pay your bills. So um, that that was like a that, that was like amputating a limb. Because mm. it was like such a relief that it was gone. Like at least this won't kill me. Yes. And um, but also had I had no plan. There wasn't like a there was no backup strategy for me. I'd spent twenty years working on one thing. So I was like, I guess I'll drive a truck for Amazon and hopefully people are still ordering stuff and I could make some deliveries. I don't know. Um. So. But yeah. you learned. Yeah. What? You learned from this. Oh. Oh. Because you're here doing it again. One hundred percent. Yeah, well, the, I had made all the mistakes, so I knew what not to do the second time around. And um, I also started up my practice, this practice, with a heavy dose of therapy, you know. So I was nice. like, only, yeah, only going to work on myself if I, you know, work on other people if I was going to do the work myself. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but being in the right place and feeling like you're not in the right place is a common, that's a common feeling. Like, because what you're doing right now is not out of alignment with who you want to be. Correct. Yeah, there just feels like there's something else that needs to complement this, and there's something missing. And it, the the military part really is a big part. At least that's what I perceive it as. Maybe it's the pull toward masculinity I was talking about. Maybe that comes in another form, but I don't see it in any way. Really, I've I've had tastes. You know, um, the auxiliary is. Kind of fun, but it's, you know, one foot in, one foot out. You're not a, you don't have a DOD number. You're Homeland Security, so you support the regular Coast Guard, which is cool. But like, I, I don't get men for. I get fuck all. <laughs> you can do columns or gates. You're like, and that's fine. You know, we help the active guys get out. And then uh, more recently, I joined the Freemasons just because I always thought, well, who are these weird guys? I want to try it out. And so I've been poking around with that, but it's not hitting the way I thought these things would. Um, but I have a sus- suspicion that if I were to get into the A branch of the military and do something really fun that I'd really be interested in, I would. And yes, there's a whole backstory on why I haven't done it as a mental health professional. Uh, that's a long story, and we'll get there. Um, military, I've done roles. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, for a hundred. I'm talking to Army Major right now, and she's banging her head against the door like, I would take you right now. But... I don't know if you want me to explain that. Well, we're still, we're gonna still, we're gonna hang out on the symptoms for a little bit longer. Speaking of which, um, let's talk about um, 
the the symptoms of dysfunction that come with the some of the the the, old, the uncertain beginnings like from childhood um, and we'll go specific in a second but I want to talk about um, so the the dark night of the soul um, mm-hmm. can be uh, generated by um, you know all kinds of things mm-hmm. um, but I wanted to cover uh, the four main uh, symptoms of of trauma or dysfunctions uh, of trauma and this is out of the book outlived by peter atia great um, book which is a huge yeah game huge, changer hugely orienting for health and all aspects great podcast too the drive the drive there we go shout out peter atia peter peter atia and the drive definitely an influence i'm wearing my levels cgm right now because i'm <laughs> hell yeah mm-hmm. um so in it, he talks about addictions, codependency, habituated survival strategy, and attachment disorders as being the primary symptoms of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And my God, um, the four of them are, are, well, two of them are really obvious. Two of them are kind of a little bit more subtle. Um, so I wanted to run through what those symptoms of dysfunction are, addictions, codependency, habituated survival strategies, um, and uh, attachment disorders. And uh, we could we could rap about them a little bit. And I also want to know if you had symptoms of any of these um, uh, dysfunctions in your life. Uh, all of those, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and this is probably we should probably talk about traumatic events versus full on post traumatic stress from post traumatic stress disorder versus acute stress disorder. Totally, totally. We'll we'll, we'll get there because. Right now, like um, we we want to talk about like if you if you're if you're having a dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. um, and um, I want to connect with people on like the how common these dis these dysfunctions are, and then we're gonna get into trauma right after that. So um, because the dysfunctions are some of them are obvious, like if you're addicted to alcohol or cocaine or heroin or pills or whatever they are. Um, those are those are I think what people think of when they think of addictions. Correct. Substances. Um, yeah. So yeah, addicted substances. But also, you can be addicted to things like that are not so obvious, like work mm. or perfectionism work or uh, exercise. Exactly. You could be addicted to uh, uh, sex. You could be addicted to. What else can you be addicted to that you know people aren't don't necessarily think of as addictions. You think compulsive, I guess. I mean, there you go. Compulsive to, to do. It, it's a good aversion, distraction to pain. It works, like, in the short term. That's why people push that button. But on the back end, there's just so much collateral. I've totally been addicted to all these things for different periods of time. Um, work has probably been the thing that being busy is probably my mm. favorite thing, being addicted to stress and Great. being busy. Great distractor. Um, but I've certainly taken alcohol as far as it's going to go for me. I've taken... Um, sex as far as I can go uh, I can take um, I, I'm really sensitive to drugs <laughs> so I, that that was very short-lived um, well, that's good <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. but um, but I think like if you're somebody who and this is I, I, don't, I think every person man woman or child will eventually will be at a point in their life where they'll value themselves based on how quote-unquote productive they are and mm-hmm. um, and like, am I producing value? Am I adding to my net worth? Am I adding to my net wealth? Am I adding to somebody else's? Am I cl- on the clock? Am I doing something that is 
um, producing a benefit. Um, and that being in that place is really rewarding externally. So it's kind of hard to shake. Um, but that only goes so far um, because the A, it burns you out. Um, B, it really limits how you, you know, engage with your you know, personal relationships and the rest of your life, your overall quality of life. And also, by the way, the most successful people are not super addicted to work. Like, you know, they want to get eight hours of sleep, seven hours Correct. of sleep every night. Recharge. They want to play. Mm-hmm. They want to have positive, supportive relationships. Yep. And they know that if they are re- they are really successful, they can hire someone to help them. And they can work circles around you. So <laughs> they don't need to. It's not a, they're, they're not really about, um, you know, monastic productivity. Mm. Uh, I think Tim Ferriss has been talking about this a lot more lately. I like that statement. Um, but uh, codependency. So um, what does that mean? Because uh, I, I read that and I think I know what that means. Like, um, but I wanted to hear it from a professional. Probably, <laughs> uh, I always think of caretaking, where you're, you're both sort of relying on each other uh, in ways to function, where you can't function by yourself. Like I can't do life without this person in my life to uh, do what I perceive I can't do. And we both kind of project that onto each other. Oh, you're really strong and you have confidence and I don't have any. So I go out and I find somebody who's really strong. But then they almost you know, they don't have any time for me or they're unavailable or, or vice versa. Or caretaking of some sort. You know, it's, you're, you're losing you in the other person. And you're both kind of doing it and meeting these needs in not good ways. That makes sense. Yeah, well, um, gosh, um, and, you know, on one end of the spectrum, it could be a mechanical thing, like the husband drives, the wife doesn't have a driver's license, Correct. and that's very, you know, overtly obvious where you feel dependent on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum, um, if you don't love yourself, you need someone else to laugh at your jokes because yeah. otherwise you don't value yeah. your own input. Mm-hmm. So um, I've definitely... Uh, I've had a lot of peer-to-peer relationships where I was super codependent, mm-hmm. um, and, and in in one way too, uh, my clients like needing them to like approve and you know make me feel good about myself. Validate, yeah. Mm. yeah. If we can't self-validate, we look for other people to do it. But that's insatiable because it, it's like chasing the dragon after your first heroin hit. You never you never get it. Yeah. You got to figure it yourself. That's it's so counterintuitive and hard. Because a lot of those are missing pieces from childhood. We're still looking for that parent to give it to us. They never did. So we look for it in other people. But it's not their job. No. It, it, and and it, it actually hurts you if you um, if you find it. Because hmm. if you find somebody else to k- take care of you, that prolongs your codependent Correct. behavior and personality. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that um, this... This one, that's my sort of my uh, biggest dragon to slay, uh, because um, my primal trauma, uh, which we're about to get into, mostly is enmesh well, <laughs> neglect, enmeshment, and abandonment. Um, Good uh, times. Those are that's the trifecta <laughs> of uh, feeling unsafe without, you know, from without. So. Um, <laughs> So, so being really good at making friends was like a really fast adaptive skill that I had to develop mm. and, and in terms of and developing positive relationships with adults. 
to be able to um, figure out where resources were and, and you know get <laughs> places to live and taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that will come, well, certainly going to come back to codependency. Habituated survival strategy. I looked this up. Um, Peter Tia refers to his, in his favorite thing was to go to feeling angry all the time, and he was just ah. accustomed to a state of rage. Yes. And so that could also be an addiction, for sure, if you're sure. addicted to being angry. Yeah. But I think it's being habituated to an environment or a relationship that is toxic, and and you 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 as a person or me as a person, not noticing that it's destructive for me, right. and have it becoming accustomed. So if you're accustomed to chaos or the template you know, you're given, that's right. It, and it seems normal. It seems par for the course. Mm-hmm. So it's just you know one of the things that I. <laughs> Um, just sort of like the my cycles of dysfunction was like I had ended up on a lot of people's couches when I was young and so when I was an adult and having financial hardship and staying with other people it had seemed normal to me it's like if you make a couple of mistakes you just don't walk a walk you don't have a place to live <laughs> <laughs> and just so habituated to me um, and, it, and it took I remember um, when I was just like okay that's enough like I don't like I can figure this out like it, it doesn't it doesn't need to be a big deal like, uh, and I had broke the, I had broken the cycle, but it took a long time. Um, that habituated survival trait, that's the, the brand, you know, dysfunction number three, symptom number three. So we've got addictions, codependency, habituated survival strategy. And then I want to touch on attachment disorders, which is, um, that sounds like a clinical term to me. What does that mean? It's the way you attach to your caregiver. So secure, securely attaches what you want. So if you had a parent that's, when you were upset, they gave you a hug, calming it, like, that nervous system thing, let me help you regulate. And then, and you can go back out, like, oh, you fell off your bike, skin your knee, it's okay. Hey, let's get back on the bike, and you can do it. If you have a parent that, oh, I fall, you'll fall off the bike, oh, I know, it's so scary, let's just not ride the bike, and I'll take care of you. You're getting... One too much. Changing the environment to accommodate the stress instead of changing the the child to accommodate the environment. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then there's a whole. We could talk a little about attachment disorders, but that's. Well, we're we're going to talk about attachments. Have you? You said you had all these. So what was your problem with attachment? (laughs) I had two. So the insecure ones, and they're somewhat different names for some of them, but there's anxious and avoidance are the big ones, and there's one called disorganized. That's a little more rare. Uh, the anxious one is, uh, I fear someone leaving me, I run after them. The avoidance, I, I fear intimacy, someone says I love you, I get scared, and I run. And sometimes you can have both, which is rare, but also uh, possible. And um, Having a, a dad that wasn't around enough, um, there's the anxious one, want, wanting, wanting. Having a smothering mom who tried to control me, there's the avoidant one. Someone comes in and it's like, ooh. Warning, uh, someone might try to manipulate you and tell you who to, what to do, and you're gonna have no life. Run away, run away. Confusing that with love. Mm-hmm. You know, that someone trying to love you, and it's like, ooh, get away. Perfect. Sucked, because it's really, really, really confusing when you're you're dating and you fall, you, you know, it's skills and rainbows and the honeymoon period, and everything's fine. That attachment system doesn't really kick on. So you start having feelings and of love, it kicks on. And so for me, it was like someone would fall in love, and I'd go, oh. I'd find every flaw or reason why I shouldn't be with that person and then I kind of distance. And then they go, well, screw you. And they leave and they go, wait, don't leave me. I'm like, what am I doing? I just, two minutes ago, I didn't want to be with this person and now that they're leaving, I, I'm falling apart. 
was so confusing. And so until I realized what that was, you know, got into my field, did therapy, um, and did therapy on this um, particular thing, was I able to start getting to secure. So you, secure is like bringing those two extremes towards the middle. So I can tolerate intimacy, you know, if someone leaves me, yeah, it sucks, but I'm, I'm still good, and I can still find other people. You know, I can tolerate loss, and I can tolerate love. And there's a, you know, a middle part there. The disorganized one, I, I'm less uh, informed about. I think that's more where you're sort of checked out, like a fight, flight, freeze, like a freeze, fawn. No, you, you, you described it adequately, right? So when you have both the anxious and the um, fight avoidant, yeah. um, well, so your your experience of that was maybe in different contexts you would display disorganized. Like you would be early anxious, late stage avoidant, right, as they got closer to you. Yeah, early stage avoidance, late stage anxious. Ah, okay, they, sure. They sure. go, why are you not loving me back? <laughs> I'd, or yeah, I'd, you know, be really insecure and like, I meet a, a woman who's ten out of ten scared the shit out of me, but I like really want that relationship. So I come in really like, mm -hmm. uh, and then if I perceive that they didn't like me, I you know try to smother or, or shore things up or like let's define the relationship. You know, and yeah, that scares. Women like, oh, do I have to take care of you, or am I your mom? <laughs> Not yeah. a good scenario, but I found myself there. DTR, the need for certainty, which is defined the relationship, people, for those of you who are 100 and don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> the, um, so, um, and, and so I've been habituated to all kinds of chaos and the attachment disorders. I was just, I was disorganized and I didn't know it until I was um, in therapy for years and going through the, how I was connecting with my, my partner mm -hmm. and um, realizing that I had um, desire to control. I wanted to get, so I was anxious attachment to everybody when meeting them. Mm -hmm. The closer they got to me, the more avoidant. And so it's the same. You said it's the same. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is because I'm really, really good at connecting with people, people would mistake transparency for vulnerability. Mm. So I would give very personal information to people, but I wouldn't tell them what was going on with me at the time. I didn't know what was going on with me at the time. So it didn't, I mean, I wasn't lying. I just didn't know. So, but I couldn't be vulnerable because I hadn't gotten there yet mm -hmm. for myself. But, um, the, um, the, the, the com combination of those two things is that much like you, and we're, we're about to talk about like how this all erupts, right? The volcano and all this is erupting from is that, that, initial trauma piece and it's a lot more subtle than people think because my rule was you know because you know, I learned from my mom that I could love you and you could you would make me feel better but if you love me so if you said I love you to me that means I was responsible for you Eesh. so that was that was the thing that was frightening to me mm -hmm. so when people you know close friends um, you know my partner would say I love you and they would really mean it then I would you know, that would be a death knell to me because I knew that I had to take care of my, my rule was that, okay, great. I got to take care of this person yep, no, no matter what. Yeah. yeah. And so I was avoidant of that, which led to all kinds of nonsense, um, that, uh, you know, I just described divorce and a series of sabotage relationships, uh, before that. But, um, so those are the symptoms of dysfunction. And I, I wanted to share those because you can be, um, you could be somebody who is disciplined and smart and hardworking and 
still not create a good result in your life if you're not aware of these things as you, I wasn't, as maybe you were, but obviously you aren't, you are now. Um, and, and it's not a character flaw to identify these things no. that you have. If you can, are willing to just do the work and follow the thread to what you actually need. And, um, so part of that is understanding how these are generated. And, um, there's lots of things that can generate, you know, these, these dysfunctions, these coping mechanisms. Um, and they're in back from the book, um, outlive, uh, Peter Tia talks about the five capital T's of trauma, physical and mental abuse, neglect, um, enmeshment, which is the blurring of boundaries between adults and children, abandonment, which is the, uh, you know, being abandoned by one or more of your parents, uh, witnessing traumatic events, and then a host of little t traumas. Um, and some of these things are obvious and some of them are not obvious and they don't, um, people don't talk about them as frequently. Like Tim Ferriss has had a podcast for what, 14 years. And he just talked about it for mm -hmm. the first time, his own sexual abuse, sexual abuse which is physical abuse. What, um, a, what a service he did by doing that, by the way. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. It was huge. But it's, that's really hard. It is really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And, um, and as anybody who is a growth mindset person, who is a uh, achiever, um, the, you're the last person to make excuses. You're the last person to, I think, give yourself a break. And you're the last person to want to blame somebody else for, oh, yeah. uh, yourself. for how you're, mm -hmm. for how you're, how you're doing it all. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about blame. This is just about understanding. Mm. And, um, so, um, you know, physical and mental abuse, um, the, maybe you can help me with this one. We'll go through each of these, but, um, just to talk about like how they present. Well, physical is easy. So, but I also want to know like, okay, so if, let's say that, um, I lip off to my dad and he slaps me in the face. Um, is that physical abuse? Is physical abuse? Yeah. And and mental abuse because <laughs> you're like this is the person that loves me but I'm being hit so I must be very bad because if parents are gods gods are infallible then I must be the one that's fallible and kids would they want to remain attached back to attachment to their caregiver so they'd rather be sadly physically abused than abandoned being abandoned is much more terrifying evolutionarily if you're a baby left in the forest, you're gonna die. Or yep. if you're yeah, totally. kicked out of the group, you're gonna die. So, um, okay. So uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I grew up in the '80s and '90s, so you just took a hit. You just took a hit and walked <laughs> it off. Spanking. Yeah, yeah. yeah like wooden I, spoon. That's what I got. I think, I think, um, um, I think uh, it's difficult. Um, I had a hard time. Category. I like. I, I hadn't. I would never have said the words until about six months ago that I had an abusive childhood. Mm -hmm. And then I, I freaking read the book, mm -hmm. and there's in. <laughs> I was laughing. I mean, I wasn't laughing. I was like, oh fuck. There's a lot going on. Um, so um, I think the the amount of times I got slapped or something. Uh, and in the eighties, strangers would slap you. 
like Bros, s- yeah. strangers would on the bus or in public teachers and, yeah like you just get straight hit mm-hmm. so <laughs> <laughs> straight not dude yeah it wasn't it wasn't even a thing but like you didn't comp- i mean like, I, I just was i'm chuckling at how different it was because like you know parents would other people's parents would correct you yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not, it's not funny. Don't do that. Uh, but there's a mark. Um, and then that is mental abuse. Mental abuse also, um, just you mind know, games, name calling, mind games, um, manipulation, manipulation. Um, uh, give, do, you, do you have any references to this in your own life? Uh, mental or, abuse. Yeah. Or, or, you know, what are classic signs of mental abuse or examples? Yeah, manipulation is a big one. Uh, you know, the parents not consistent. It's really confusing. Like one, at one point you're really nice to me, and now you're icing me out, like to passive aggressively punish me. I, I'm a kid. I don't know what the hell that means, but I mean, you would make a story about that. Well, I must be doing something. That's where character game comes in. Oh, I better be a good boy, mm. a good girl. So, you know, that manipulators are good because then they start. Uh, training the kid how to behave but in ways that fuck them up wow so this my god we could this could be a whole episode right here oh, yeah. i just have so yeah. many questions <laughs> but we're i, I want to run through them kind of quickly because um i want to i want to cover the little t's as well um so there's physical me- mental abuse um you know which is also emotional like you said just being having inconsistent parents which is like okay 90 percent of listeners um <laughs> neglect um you know, what does this mean in um, from a clinical definition? Uh, seen and not heard, maybe? Or um, basic needs not being met? Uh, you know, this can be physical or emotional neglect. Um, absent parents. Even even down to, like, yeah, the, when a parent just works a lot, you don't mean to neglect you, but, like, you just didn't get enough attention being seen. Mm. Um, you can get lots of clumped, <laughs> sadly. Um, I'm, I, 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 I have an uncomfortable laugh with all of these because um, it's just like it's just so common. Um, the um, I was at, the, at this event the other yesterday, and uh, the 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 teacher was the instructor was talking about different experiences in things being fucked up and and not acknowledging that they're fucked up and like. I remember in the second grade, and um, we were I was on a free school lunch program for most of my younger uh, childhood, and um, we had just started the second grade, and I was like a, a quick reader, I was a quick study at math and, and reading, and so I you get in this little advanced class where you you get to do th- you play games while the kids are kind of catching up and doing remedial stuff, and they kind of get to study ahead a little bit. Um, and they send you to lunch early and you get more time at recess. And I was at lunch from the beginning of the second grade, and um, I didn't, for some reason, my paperwork wasn't, um, like, figured out. So I, I, my, my dad had to pay for my lunch. So I'm in there, and I'm, like, seven, and I'm, like, trying to get lunch. And they're, like, hey, you uh, you need to give me a dollar eighty. And I was, like, well, I don't have I don't have any money. And they're, like, oh, well, then you don't get to eat lunch. And I was, like, okay. Fucking 80s, man. So, uh, so, <laughs> so there's no remedy. You just don't get, you just don't get food. So I'm, like, this place fucking sucks. And I said that out loud, and they took, they took me out of that program. So they, they, they took away my, uh, my little, uh, advanced program for second graders or whatever. 
And so my lesson, I took the wrong lessons from that. I was like, this, this place sucks. Yes. And then if I voice complaints about my needs, uh, yes. I'll get punished. You'll get punished. And so, like, that's immediate. <laughs> I'm just laughing because, like, that was so rote. And it was not even a thing, like, no count, no, don't even talk to me about it. Yeah. And that was just the way that it went, went down. And uh, so I think a lot of people, this is where you get to these, these you know, if you're a young man or woman, you get to this nihilist attitude super early on where you're like, oh, geez, things are dismal, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, And they're not supposed to work for you. Yeah, this is the way life is. <laughs> we make up a story if anyone tells us. Um, enmeshment. Uh, so, um, Valerian boundaries. So this is, this is something that I know you experienced um, when you were a kid where um, a little bit about manipulation, but... Um, it's also like, I need you to take care of me as the, if I'm the adult, like mm -hmm. I need to borrow from you. Mm -hmm. Um, I need your validation. Yep. Tell me who I am. Yeah. yeah great. I, I'm the kid and I'm telling you who you are. Yeah. I don't really know who the fuck I am. Aren't you supposed to help me develop that? Yeah. Um, and so this is like really, this is like, this is so common because if you are like most of us, or well, like me and like Miles, who had a, either dad that wasn't there or uh, didn't have a father figure, I had a dad who would constantly break commitments with me, and then he needed me to think that he was a good person, so he would want me to forgive him and make him feel better about it, um, which is like... It's so easy to develop that, and then you have that caretaking relationship of like, oh, mm -hmm. well, parents are people you take care of. Correct. <laughs> they can't do it, so I guess I gotta do it. Because it's scary if no one's doing it. Who's the captain of the ship? I guess I'll promote myself. That's right. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have the training, but I'll do it. Um, and uh, so, did you you experience any of that when you were <clears throat> when you were a child? Yeah, with my mom, things just freaked out with being a single mom with four kids, and I was the oldest, and so it was falling upon me to help ex help her pick up where my dad left off. Mm. And I don't think she intentionally meant that, but it, that's what happened. And I think she tried to enmesh with me, but I pushed back, I rebelled. Um, turned into a little shit at some point, and we got into a big blowout, and I was 15, I didn't end up being with my dad, so I didn't see him more. But then I had uh, not a good relationship with my stepmom, that's a whole other well, the, the, they keep going, right? Like the, they keep going. The, 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 the big T's and little T's, they, they all blend together. And sometimes yes. sometimes the little T's can be more damaging than the big T's. Little T's add up to big ones. Um, abandonment, um, this is, I mean, easy. I mean, most families are in a extended family at some point. Uh, becoming in six extended families, this is the greater percentage of families are extended families than they are nuclear families. Nuclear? Nuclear. Fucking George Bush screwed that up. But yeah. We all can't say it right now because of him. Nuclear. Nuclear. But he said nuclear. And the, the whole DOD just adopted it after a while. Just like, ah, no, it's nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> it's not, not nuclear. Um, he had some good ones, though. Strategery. That's, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, so, abandonment. Um, so, having a parent go away. And... The parent could totally not emotionally abandon the kid, but as to physically go away. Mm -hmm. And just depending on how the communication is between parents and parent and child, yep. the abandonment lands, right? Yep. Um, and um, witnessing traumatic events. So this is witnessing a car accident, with witnessing the abuse of a family member, right? Or a sibling or um, uh, 
to somebody close to you, um, or, you know, gosh, all kinds of things. Watch the news too much. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you see a bunch of murders on the news. Um, yeah, so um, I've, my, so the best thing my parents did when I was young was separate um, because of the problems that they were both having. Um, and, uh, yeah, watching them beat each other up, um, it was, it was a relief when they, when they separated. Oh, so they, they physically fought. Oh yeah. Oy. Oh my God. Um, which is strange cause they're both so nice. Like they're both mm. so, such kind people. Suppressing some anger. Perhaps? Well, specifically together. And also, um, suppressing, um, yes, there's that. But I think at the time my dad was heavily into drugs. Oh, so brought that up. Yeah. Strung out on meth. And that'll do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when one person's in the psychosis, yeah. they can have enough of experience for both of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Drugs tend to do that. Gas on the fire. Um, and then the little T traumas growing up without <laughs> a father or strong mother figure um, will, you know, hit you with the little T. Um, I think just moving around a lot. One of the, one of oh, the yeah, good one. seminal tra- uh, you know, little T or kind of the bigger T's in my life was just. My peer group constantly changing. Yeah, you know that was that's a big one. Yeah. Um, but what other what else comes to mind when you think of little teas? Yeah, little teas that add up. As small as like getting cut from your high school team or peer rejection or uh, your lunch incident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, man? I'm starving. <laughs> small things like that. If they keep happening over and over and over and over, like once like we're kids were. We're gonna hit little T traumas no matter what, and, but if they happen consistently over time for long periods of time, then they start losing. It's like a death by a thousand wounds. Absolutely, and I think like <clears throat> I think the thing that makes exacerbates all these things is no one no one trying to regulate your nervous system about it. So if you like if your parents are fighting with each other and they yell at each other and they say mean things to each other mm. and then they repair and then they come to you and say. Hey, what we were doing earlier was wrong. That's beautiful. If then, you if you witness the repair. If you witness the repair, and that's the thing is like all of these things, somebody leaving you and forgetting to pick you up isn't like the defining trauma of your life. If they acknowledge it, speak to it, repair it, and say like, oh my gosh, and fix it. That like, happened to me, by the way. <laughs> not and they didn't repair. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> what the fuck? And and I think like burying the people call it gaslighting, but it's like um, ignoring. <clears throat> ignoring the friction that that you're because like you can't raise a kid or do anything in life without having problems they're going to be problems it's the not speaking to it and letting children have their own experience which they will if you don't narrate it for them because kids don't if if, if mom is angry because um you know she like my mom so I was raised by a single parent mom as you you know de- determined at this point um <laughs> Uh, she she worked she was in college and she worked a couple minimum wage jobs but she lost one of those jobs we were effed mm. so she could get, have reduced hours at one place and then now we're effed and so now she's fearful and angry and mm. I'm going to internalize that as a kid of course. and my mom had dozens of those things mm. you know because she was navigating a very you know very rough path vicarious trauma right and um, so you know Having a, a parent that doesn't ever address or repair anything um, is what is confusing, and it and it uh, is what kind of cements these things and mm-hmm. <clears throat> creates the co 
Uh, uh, Adaptive yeah. strategy. Well, codependent for sure. Yeah. Is it caretaking? Avoiding conflict? Because if you don't see their, like you see your parents blow out and then they go and repair later, but you didn't see that, you think, oh shit, that means chaos, people leave each other, it means scary feelings. We should avoid conflict and never do that. But we forget if we do skillful conflict and you make up, you're actually closer. That's conflict right. is done skillfully and healthily is brilliant. So, you know, I have kids, if my wife and I have a little spat, we want to make sure we go and talk to them about what happened or like make, we made up and we'll go do it again in front of them. Like, you know, shortened versions, like everything's fine and this is what happened. That's repair and then they go, oh, okay, it's okay to fight and work it out. And it doesn't mean we have to avoid conflict for the rest of our lives. Uh, so I was very conflict averse, as you probably were too, because I, I never saw my parents make up. I don't even think they ever did fucking make up. <laughs> it was just like blowouts and name calling and fucked up shit. And it was like walking on eggshells. Whole different story with my stepmom and my dad. So, yeah, um, repair is huge. If we don't get that, we don't know what that means. So, um, <clears throat> the reason why that I w- we wanted to go through all of these um, tra- traumas and the the, the 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 symptoms are because, like they, when you're when you have a traumatic event, which you you do, you have that you've had them, <laughs> and when, when when you've had a traumatic event, you're you you develop coping mechanisms and adaptive strategies, and they are great at solving certain problems, and they are bad at solving other things, and they create some of them create more problems. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times we identify, we over-identify with the, the you know the the simp, the, the, the adaptive strategy. Mm-hmm. So you know I became a people pleaser, and you know and luckily either became an extrovert or was born an extrovert and and benefited from some of the assets of getting energy from making friends and feeding off of social um, cues. So I got all these like superpowers around. Um, building a network and I thought that was awesome and I think you know in my mind I had it like you know identi- identified the things the the trauma that I had been through or the circumstances as the reason for that and I but I, I didn't acknowledge any of the dysfunction that came with it um, because I didn't know if I could separate the good from the bad you know and to bring it back to what you said at the beginning was you have to be whole and Wholeness. Yeah, it, and there's some shadow aspects to the light, and you don't. the The more you ignore something, the more it controls you. Mm-hmm. And for for me, in my experiences, the more that I shoved away, like uh, my, you know, my inability to to recognize my needs, sort of say no, or to have crucial conversations or have conflict, healthy conflict. You know, the more that I ignored those things, the worse my life got. Mm-hmm. What you resist persists. That's right. We're calling them statements, I believe. That's right. And um, this leads us to like um, feeling <clears throat> feeling like we, like so So I think the way that it, for me it is connected with this um, dark night of the soul is that there's a part of me that I need to let go of in order to grow into the next phase. And I feel like it's... Um, for me, my life and my growth has been a series of letting go of more and more parts of more and more parts of me that aren't serving me, so that I can embrace the person that I want to be a little bit more fully. And like, so 
that's why the being able to um, being able to make somebody else uncomfortable or to being able to disappoint other people on authentically um, was a big win for me um, because I had to let go of this idea that everyone needed to like me mm-hmm. and that I was responsible for everyone's you know happiness um, and when I was able to do that then I immediately was free to take on more challenges and responsibility in my business I could serve more people because I was I wasn't living or dying by whether or not one person you know thought I was a good trainer or a good coach or a good you know business owner and and that that leads me to the next piece of like okay now I have to go to the next level and um, be more present and more vulnerable and authentic and those are you know TBD as I as I work on those skills and uh, for me it's been through addressing this stuff and um, and and letting go one by one or at least engaging in a conversation with myself about Mm -hmm. what you know where these come from and and what I need Mm -hmm. Um, when you think about your career and your success um, or happiness, like, do you feel like there's a, you know, a linear or at least a related relationship between doing this parts work or shadow work or what do you, would you, you call yourself a Jungian? I'm not a technically trained Jungian analyst. You have to go to the Jung Institute for that. It's like freaking Navy SEAL buds for therapists like it's so hard to get into and they just thump you over the head with your own work where you can talk to other people but my phd uh was at pacific graduate institute and i had a lot of Jungian, uh freudian just basically depth psychology things to do with unconscious dreams and things like that and so yeah the shadow is his theory and that's anything you disown and put off into this big giant sort of bag that you don't want to think about but still there you know, the AA people say that your addiction's uh, out in the parking lot doing push-ups. <laughs> you don't do it. It's kind of the same sort of idea. You put push things in the shadow. What you resist persists. And there's a thing called the golden shadow too. Like good things you had to push down. Like say you were very musically inclined, but your dad said you're gonna be an accountant, and so you stuff that shit in the bag. You can go get that later and would reclaim it. That's still a latent possibility in you. So if there's good stuff you push down too, you can go get, go claim. So you want to explore the shadow. And that's, that topic is a, you can do a whole podcast on the shadow and shadow work. That's a lot, but it's amazing. Um, and then we talk about parts work. I've been doing a lot of what's called internal family systems therapy with my own therapists. Um, there's a big wait list to get trained in it. So I am on that wait list, but I've read the books and sort of self-taught a little bit. And I'm kind of learning through my therapist as well. And we, it's, there's a lot of overlap with shadow work and, um, Parts of yourself. So you said you, you were letting go of parts of yourself. They would say more like talk to those wounded parts and um, let them know that you can run the show from your highest self let, so they can grow and they get out of the driver's seat, so to speak, and you can be in the driver's seat. Um, that's a lot, another lengthy conversation, but that's one other way to work at this kind of stuff. Well, <clears throat> no, that's great. Um, and so, you know, maybe we're in the tactics part of this episode now. Um, but, uh, yes, I, um, I recently got the, you know, prompts to like, you know, reach out to my inner child and, you know, um, ask myself how, you know, young Josh or little Josh has shown up today and, Mm. you know, that he can relax and, Mm. um, he can, he can let me take over 
Yeah, they like to be asked in that period. We like to be asked, do you, are you amenable to relaxing while we you know, do this little experiment? Something we're scared of. Yeah. And if you get like a lightness feeling, then maybe they're talking. Sometimes they say, screw you. <laughs> they're not ready. You know, they don't trust you yet. That's kind of part of the period. But yeah, you, you want to talk to them and ask them permission. They want to know that they're seen because they're just little, little us's that have felt abandoned by the world and us. And like they feel like they had to do the work because we could instead of have from our highest self as a kid because we wouldn't have the facts of the world yet so they kind of sprang up and they're called you know managers and firefighters and then down below is in the shadow realms called the exiles those are the, just the core brands and the managers and firefighters sort of keep you going the managers are sort of critics and the firefighters are more like addictions and avoidance kind of behaviors so you want to talk to these parts and have a relationship and if there's a relationship and there's trust and if there's trust they can trust you from the highest self then they relax because that's all they want. It's like, you, you're the captain, you run this motherfucker. Cool. And you have a series of questions you ask them. And sometimes you say like, what, if you didn't have to do this job, what would you rather do? And you'll get weird things. Like I just want to paint. It's like, cool. Go off and paint, you know, or whatever you get all kinds of that's the things. response from the child or any, any part you're talking to. It's really psychedelic without the psychedelics. And when I first did it, I was like, Oh, this is interesting. I, I did Dr. Schwartz is the founder of it. He has this great audio series called Greater Than the Sum of Your Parts. And he goes through the theory and has little meditations where he talks you through it. I was like, no, this is cool. I was having a good day. And he did one and I burst into tears. Like, holy shit, this works. It mm. blew my mind. And so I just deep dove. I was like, where has this been? Like, did, are we doing therapy all wrong? I mean, this is just groundbreaking to me. So I've been doing deep dives into that. Um, but there's a lot of overlap with that theory and all theories, but... He gives a nod to Jung because he was definitely a, an influence. But. Well, um, on the on the piece of this, um, you know, that we've been talking about um, feeling feeling lost, having trauma and dysfunction, and you know, and um, symptoms of, of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, then then t- let's wrap it up with like, what if you're you know if you've had a problematic upbringing and you've you've had trauma on your path you know are you traumatized is that is there um what's the you know like is there a um what's the hope for somebody who is um you know figuring this stuff out and let's say they identify themselves as like having some of these um trauma pieces in, in their upbringing or in their recent past, um, is that the end of the story? That they're traumatized and they're just they're, yeah they're fucked. Screwed. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You, you, yeah. Well, part of it is you don't know what you don't know, right? and society doesn't do a good job about. Well, I, I think it's getting better um, about talking about this kind of stuff. You know, look at our childhood in the eighties. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Um, before then, pretty rough. Uh, but yeah, if you, uh, I, I think psychotherapy is for everybody. Um, so they may disagree with that. Every, anybody could benefit. And even if you're not in a pit and things are fine, you could optimize, like keep going. Like Then it becomes more like coaching, like where you're functioning well, let's do an even better. You know, people forget that. I see a lot of people, they get themselves out of the pit and they go, oh, I'm good. And then they, they dip out and they come back later because they forget life comes at you, you know, existentially, life 
that was, it was the first noble truth of Buddhism, life involves suffering. It's going to hit, you're going to get punched in the face again, so they, they come back. Um, or they realize, oh, there's, I'm good, but I need, there's more I could do to, to do better. And that's more of the coaching aspect of our field. And then psychotherapy is more like, you're in the swamplands, let's, let's, we got to go down there to ship the claim down there, but we don't have to stay down there. So therapy, coaching, all these things can, can definitely help. Um, for some people, it's medications. You know, that that's depend dependent on that person. Sometimes you do meds in order to do therapy to take the edge off, so you're not so dysregulated, and you can come off them later. Certain cases, you know, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. Yeah, probably gonna have to be on those for the rest of your life. ADD, probably gonna have to be on those for the rest of your life. Some cases not, but most cases yes. So, um, I you know I'm picturing a spectrum on on the closer to the dysfunction more medication more medical grade therapy and then the higher up the spectrum of function that you are climbing the more um the more coaching and the more um self-work even yeah and and you know it's not <clears throat> it's not um it's three-dimensional right so you mm. could be very high functioning in some areas of your life oh yeah Oh yeah, and then low functioning other places that need a lot more support. Hundred yeah. um, percent. I um, I don't think I you know I've been a, a self development person for twenty years now at least, and um, I don't think I can live without a lot of support. In, you know, at least some level of support in the mental, emotional, some level of support in the. Um, you know, spiritual, physical, mm -hmm. like I, I have to have, also important. be doing the work for, um, from, for me to feel, mm -hmm. um, like I'm not drowning <laughs> and moving backwards. Yeah. And, and I just forgot one key important factor in all this is your physical health. That's what people come see you. You got to get your body back. Trauma does wreaks havoc on the body and you start doing therapy and you start getting your body back. You start eating better. You start sleeping you start working out. It's so helpful. Oh yeah, um, and there isn't you know, there isn't any. I don't think that there is a trauma that doesn't have a physical manifestation. Um, I, I was just watching Bill Burr uh, talk about his upbringing, and his dad was such an angry, random, you know, unpredictably angry. All of him and his whole all of his siblings developed physical ailments when they were <clears throat> when they were kids. So um, Bill Burr got alopecia. You know, his brother had back pain. And they're all like 10, 14, 11. Um, his sister had gut issues. She had IBS, you know, to develop. And they were all just like, you know, just, tra you know, traumatized and trying to figure out how to avoid the ire of their dad. Mm. And, um, you know, he makes a joke out of it, of course. Mm. But, um, a lot of comedians are suffering, but that's why they're so good at what they do. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And I think, like, um, so back to the... You know, the beginning for me of like this nihilistic, I had such a, such a nihilistic, despondent, um, uh, unplugged, like just, just angry view of the world. But I also really valued black humor, mm. you know, and yeah, I, humor. and I, and the military give you so oh, much more fodder. <laughs> so good. So good. We good just, it was, it was so good. It was so bad. It was so bad. It's hard for the civilian world to understand that, or it, it, 
the military get it, law enforcement get it, the doctors, trauma and surgeons get it. And I don't know if there's another round, but most people, you you pull that out and they're like, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> but you need that levity in those dark times. It's very helpful. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, and I think like just just leaning into that and. If you get, I think if you can make a joke about something, you can create just enough space mm. to breathe. Mm. I like and, that. and if you, if you, if you're so, if I'm so in it, and I can't joke about it, that means that I need to slow down mm-hmm. and like, and I deal, because um, there's, that's a sign that I haven't, I'm still, I'm still physically experiencing it. Yeah. You know, um, so that's a, uh, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, humor's humor super important um gosh man we covered a lot of ground um anything that you want to jump into the problematic beginnings um before we um segment you know go into the next segment say more what do you mean oh um i um i'm just trying to create a nice bow on our uh our summary of uh, origin stories and how mm. um, commonplace trauma and, and coping mechanisms can be interwoven into our lives without us knowing and without people really talking about it, especially if they're our age. Yeah, you don't know, you don't know sometimes. But pay attention to your body. Um, but those are good trailheads, as the IFS um, language would say, into what's going on. You know, you depression and anxiety, the big ones are a symptom for a reason. Like if you bang your knee it fucking hurts you look down you rub it see if you're bleeding out whatever it's weird but we have physical emotions so we do we go la 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 it doesn't didn't it didn't happen didn't happen stuff it down we would never do that if we banged our fucking knee we'd be like that didn't happen to me <laughs> pay attention it's the same phenomena like if something's going on inside you like why is it doing that what is it trying to tell me what well, don't ignore this symptom i know you want to because it sucks yeah but it's it's a it's a trailhead into what could be going on. Well, this is a great segue into masculinity and how we mm. our our emotions because they're independent for our they're they're problematic for our caretakers. They don't that um, they often get invalidated and we get encouraged to stuff them down. Yes, and um, into the shadow. That's that's a it happens to men and women, yep. but um, it you know stoicism is a it is a quality of masculinity that is um toxic and you mean stoicism with a small s yes stoicism the, the demeanor not the actual philosophy beautiful the way philosophy of, the way of going that's right well, exactly. not marcus aurelius yeah. uh but being deadpan yeah the misinterpretation <laughs> that you don't have emotions to be stoic yeah yeah that's right which is not real that's right. Um, well, we're, we're gonna take it back. Maybe that'll be another side goal. We'll take it. We're taking it back. Hell yeah. Um, but uh, cool, man. We'll wrap this up and we'll we'll, we'll kick it into gear um, for our next episode. Brilliant. We're out.